gentlemen, welcome to Eat, Sleep, Suplex Retweet. Welcome everyone to Eat, Sleep, Suplex Retweet. My name is Ross McLeod. In today's feature show, we are talking about the good, the bad and the ugly when it comes to Hell in a Cell. Hell in a Cell coming at time of recording this Sunday. So the panel and I are going to have a look at the best moments of Hell in a Cell from Mick Frawley getting thrown off to whatever the hell last year's main event was all about. We have posted in our Eat, Sleep, Suplex Retweet community on Facebook. We have asked you, you know, let us know what your favourite moments and matches are. Mark Hume said, Undertaker versus Mankind, that wins for me hands down. Ryan Dalgleish mentioned as well, last year's main event ended very poorly. If you want to have your say on that, Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet community on Facebook. We're also on Twitter, Instagram and YouTube at Suplex Retweet. And you can listen to our massive back catalogue of news, reviews and previews on iTunes, Anchor, Spotify and all good Android podcasting sites. But with that said, taking a wee journey to hell with me on the panel today. First up, he's the president of the Glasgow Leg Poisoning Fan Club. Here's Alan Lucas. Leave my leg poisoning alone. <laughs> <laughs> They're my Polish team. <laughs> <laughs> How you doing? I'm very well. How's your story, mate? I'm good, thanks. Uh, up next is a man I've not even done an intro for because nothing I could say could cut through him as badly as a Glen Kamara pass. Please welcome the president of the Selic Dads Club. He is Ryan Gallagher. Ah, oh, man. Ross, all I can say, mate, after that weekend, we've been talking about it, um, talking about the football results, you being a Rangers man, me being a Celtic man. All I can say in my intro to this show is, hello, hello, boys. Oh. Up next, he's coming away from football at the minute. Uh, we've got a wee tournament coming up on the YouTube channel called the Book It Tournament. And this man is going up against our previous panel, Ryan Gallagher, in the first round. And if he can get by Ryan, I look forward to slapping him about when I beat his pal Ryan, when I beat his pal Jack Graham. Because if Jack Graham is the mouth from the south, he's the bell end for the West End. He is David Hockney. <laughs> Oh, you're proper funny. And you know what? See if we both make it to the next round, you're going down. That's all I can say. No language, David. It's a family show. Whoa, I'm a badass and, here. And when it comes to <laughs> when it comes to Saturday Draft Live, obviously I've said the bell end from the West End. We've also got the pest from the West, Scott McLeod. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Thank you very much, Russ. Like the kindest one you've given so far. Yes, yeah, the kindest one I've given. <laughs> I ran yours and David by Stephen and he told me I wasn't allowed to do them. Um, so, <laughs> the, the purpose of this show, guys, I've just sort of, I've asked the panel before we came on air, just to give me some of their best and worst Hell in a Cell moments. Now, it's safe to say, you know, myself, Alan and Ryan, we, we watched the Attitude Era from maybe 99 to 2000 onwards. David, you're a, a Ruthless Aggression fan. Scott, you're a Ruthless Aggression fan. We've taken breaks in between, so that, it is safe to say we will probably favour the more recent Hell in a Cells. I've noticed that as a trend. Uh, but I'm going to start with Ryan Gallagher because you are the only person to witness a Hell in a Cell in person. Yeah. No, I'll just um, I'll take it away then. We're going for the best ones first. Best ones first, mate. So, best foot forward. So I was. I was considering which one to go with in this because obviously like you say out of everybody here in this panel I'm the only one that has seen a Hell in a Cell live that was at WrestleMania 32 in Dallas 
people can say what they want about that. For me, that was one of the greatest things that I've ever witnessed in my life, seeing that Hell in a Cell match. See the build-up to WrestleMania when Shane McMahon came back, and then you found out it was going to be Undertaker, then you found out it was going to be Hell in a Cell. The amount of people who messaged me on the Tuesday after that was announced as a Hell in a Cell match, the amount of people that messaged me going, you're going to see Shane McMahon jumping off a cell. And I was like, listen, listen. I already know that. I've already got my head around the fact that I'm going to see Shane McMahon launching himself mm. off the cell. And listen, it did not disappoint. See, being in the crowd for something like that, for that that moment of, of Shane McMahon jumping off of that cell, the only way I can describe it is seeing football where your team's about to score a goal, but there's that wee tiny silence just before the goal goes in, before the mm. crowd erupts. It's almost like people go, <gasps> both, and it goes, that's what it was like for this moment. He was up there, you hear people, and then as soon as he takes a leap off, silence for maybe about two or three seconds. Then you hear the crash and the crowd goes mental. Like The fact that it was going to be Undertaker as well mm. is obviously going to be exciting. Undertaker is synonymous with Hell in a Cell. That is his match. A Hell in a Cell is the Undertaker's match. It's based on him. It's styled on him. He was involved in it. You know The classic one with Mick Foley, which is... I think that's going to be the one that everybody's going to pick as probably the greatest Hell in a Cell match if they were really honest about it and had to pick one. Obviously, we're going to try and talk about different ones here that we've all enjoyed, but I think everybody will probably be able to tell you that that was the best Hell in a Cell match there's ever been. But for me, being there at this, I could watch that every day. I still watch it just now because I can relate to it. You know, I see it on on the network, I watch WrestleMania 32 regularly, just because I know I was there and because I've seen that happening in person, it was outstanding. I can't actually praise that match highly enough for that. Yeah, it certainly, um, Scott, in the build-up to that WrestleMania, um, WWE were dealing with an injury crisis. Mm. There wasn't really, you know, say what you will about Roman Reigns now, at the time people weren't excited, Roman Reigns, Triple H. WWE needed a hook, they needed something big, and. By God, they gave us something big. Yeah, definitely. Like the reports coming out after this match was announced that suddenly had been a surge in, in ticket sales for WrestleMania because obviously mm-hmm. this is like I know they announced it was a hundred thousand. It probably wasn't, but like it's still a lot of people in that massive mm-hmm. venue. So you need to put on big matches to draw people in. And before this was announced, they weren't really drawing people in at the rate they should have been so mm-hmm. close to Mania. And I think part of the attraction of this match is that. I'm pretty sure I could be wrong, but the, the first time since Edge Taker at SummerSlam 2008 that Hell in a Cell match hadn't happened at the Hell in a Cell pay-per-view, which I think is a complaint we'll talk about when we come to the worst in that Hell in a Cell matches are designated to Hell in a Cell the pay-per-view. So this is the first time it had happened outside of that pay-per-view in some time. That yeah. the- Sorry, I think um, I think Taker Triple H at Mania 28. Okay was the only other type. But yeah, I, I do agree with what you're saying. It, is, it was a surprise because it wasn't designated to that, oh, it's October, we need a hell myself. Mm-hmm. Plus, obviously, like people can talk about the convoluted nature of the, uh, the, the lockbox and all that, that we never really found out <laughs> what was in the box. Oh, the lockbox uh, was a waste of time. But then again, like there was the intrigue around because like, you thought the way they were presenting Shane is that if Shane takes over, there might be a bit of a change from the product. It was kind of getting a bit stale around, around that time again. It was kind of the same old thing, like, Roman Reigns being a prime example, but at the same time, Taker's lost once before WrestleMania to Brock Lesnar. And if anybody's going to give him his second ever loss at WrestleMania, as much as we fondly remember, you think, surely it's not going to be 46-year-old Shane McMahon. <laughs> um, Dave, you talk about obviously the lockbox being a waste of time, but, you know, as Scott, as Scott mentioned, he's, he'd already lost once at WrestleMania. 
You know, if anyone's going to beat him, it, it may as well be the boss's son. <laughs> and it, there was an intrigue because around about this time, Gallows and Anderson had signed for WWE. Um, Goldberg was rumoured to be coming back. Obviously, that was later in the year. He came back as part of the 2K deal to have his match with uh, Brock Lesnar. You know, the, there was actually the intrigue around this match, I think, was actually maybe you could say it was better than the match itself. Yeah, I agree. I think the, you know, there were, as you said, there were rumours and intrigue, you know, floating around completely with this match. And and as Scott mentioned before, they needed something big to sell WrestleMania. And what better way to sell, you know, tickets to a big event, you know, by giving them an intriguing story. And I mean, who's going to say no to see a Hell in a Cell match live? Like that on its own was enough to sell tickets. But watching the match back, I did feel it was a little bit sluggish and slow at times, all encapsulated from that Big, that one big moment where Shane obviously jumps off the top and goes to the announce table like that that alone pretty much is what makes the match memorable and that also I think is really interesting about the Hell in a Cell match itself you know it's a brutal concept but what I think really makes it stand out is there's always at least one or two like sort of big key match the key moments in that match that sell it to the audience and makes it live on in history. So with Undertaker Shane, there definitely was a lot of potential to go in different directions. But I think at the end of the day, they just felt a bit lazy with it. You know, they just sort of they gave Undertaker the win, and the rumor, the speculation was if Shane was going to win, he would take control of Monday Night Raw, and he ended up, you know, running the show the next night anyway. So the, it was, <laughs> the stipulation was kind of redundant. Um, the, the stipulation was kind of redundant, but obviously. You know, we're not really looking at the stipulation. Uh, Alan, do you think maybe some of the criticism lobbied towards this match was a wee bit unfair, given the fact that, you know, we've mentioned it's a 46-year-old part-time wrestler and a a 50-year-old wrestler who hadn't done a full schedule in 10 years? Yeah, I mean, you just hit the nail on the head there. Up until this point, when was the last time anybody had seen Shane McMahon in a wrestling match? Where he's mm-hmm. got a lot of ring rush. Taker, as we all know, his injury issues and his body starting to fail. There's a lot of ring rush there. But there's a lot of being asked of Shane to try and carry Taker through this match. And I think he did pretty well. He said on, you know, however many years, was it 10 years, whatever, Shane man being in a WWE ring. So I think it is unfair. I think it's a bit different if you're talking like that with, say, Rollins and Taker. Then yes. you'd have been like, no, no. You'd have been like, that. Rollins should have been able to take, take it up to the next level and whatever, and you could have your criticisms. But for considering it's two part-timers, one whose body's failed and one who hasn't competed in what, 10 years, whatever it was, I think they gave a damn good showing. And I thought it was a good match. It's not the best, in my opinion, but I can understand why I picked it, because if I was in my position, I'd have picked it. Um, but it is a good match, and I would say it is one of the better Hell in a Cell matches that WWE's ever produced. Yeah, but I would agree. I think the build-up alone towards it and the fact that it did surge ticket sales, to me, does put it in the best column, because... You know, people say WWE's in the process of making moments. What's a better moment than Shane McMahon jumping off a cell trying to end The Undertaker, you know what I mean? Like, uh, so, yeah, that was a cracker there, Ryan. Um, on our Suplex Retweet Twitter account, Stephen Wilson's tweeted, uh, Cactus Jack versus Triple H 2000 is an all-time classic. Two great recent matches were Becky versus Sasha, and he's mentioned another one, which I'll get to in a few minute. Uh, David Holmes says, Triple H v Jericho, Triple H v Foley, Taker versus Autumn, Taker versus Edge, all great matches with different levels of violence and storytelling, but all brilliant. David Stevens' other match that he picked, which was a recent great, the Usos versus the New Day from 2017. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe that's what you've picked as your best one. 
That's right, yes. Uh, my best, my one of my personal favorite Hell in a Cell matches was the New Day versus the Usos at the 2017 Hell in a Cell pay-per-view. Now, this feud between the Usos and the New Day, it was basically a contest to see who was the number one tag team on SmackDown at the time. Now, this was a year after the, the brand split. You know, like, and as we've mentioned on previous shows, 2016 was a very good year in this in the latter half following the draft, and it continued on for like the next year. SmackDown's booking was absolutely brilliant, and these two these two teams just exemplified like what WWE was missing from its tag team division. Like, and I remember they were even on the pre-show at that year's SummerSlam, and it was arguably mm-hmm. best match of the night. Like, you just gave away a main event caliber match on basically for free, and. I don't know if that just says something about, you know, how Vince prioritizes tag team wrestling in his company, but these guys, you know, they just absolutely blew the lid like, off expectations. And it was only natural that these teams, you know, that there was such a heated rivalry because they're always keeping on one-upping each other. They were hot potatoing the tag team championships for months. And the only way it was going to end was inside Hell in a Cell. And I believe it was the first tag team match inside Hell in a Cell before. Because I know we've had like uh, handicap matches inside the cell before. There's been multi-man matches in there, but I don't think there's ever been like a like a tornado tag team match in there as well. And these guys, you know, they just laid it on the line with everything from the storytelling to the brutality and also whilst maintaining their, their characters as well. Because that's the thing about the New Day in this match when I was watching it back. The New Day still had that sort of like, you know, happy-go-lucky fun attitude that they always have. But when push comes to shove, they can be just as brutal whilst maintaining their characters. Because I remember there was a spot in that match where I think New Day got the upper hand and Xavier Woods hit one of the Usos with a variety of instruments, including I think two trombones were involved. There was a cowbell and a gong was involved as well. So that's still playing up to their characters a bit, but doing it in a very brutal fashion. And there was so much creativity and big spots in this match. Like I couldn't help but be impressed at how much these teams went at it. Like the kendo sticks to chain uh, one of the Usos in the corner so that he was trapped. Like such a creative use of the cell and the weapons around it. Uh, getting the, the hip attack, like when the Woods gets a hip attack uh, into the cage like that the brutality of that just looked really really painful and honestly i think these teams absolutely over delivered when it came to big spots creativity and just sheer storytelling in this match and hell in the cell was the right way to to end this feud with the usos getting the big win it's it's still arguably you know it was you could probably again put this as a main event match, but it was an opening match for the show, and it's still to this day one of my favourite Hell in a Cell matches of all time. Yeah, um, Scott. Obviously, a criticism um, a lot of people have had is that maybe there's not enough new ideas in Hell in a Cell matches. We've seen everything. You know how many times can you? But it's still good to see somebody jump off the cell or get thrown off it. But you can't do it every time because it becomes old hat. Um, the kendo stick uh, spot and the the trombones playing into the gimmicks. Me and you watched this together. Two very impressive spots, as Dave mentioned. Yeah, definitely. It's like it's always good. Like there are some people who go into a Hell in a Cell match and they're happy to just do similar spots you've seen before. But it's good to see people actually go out there and try to put on something different. And you can tell these guys wanted to go out there and do something different. I think there has been one other Hell in a Cell tag match that was before this. It was like 2009 DX v Legacy. But given mm-hmm. that like it's almost like eight or so years between, this still felt like a fresh concept. Like. This is the only other time you'd seen a tag match, and I think a lot of fans probably had forgotten about that previous match. So again, it still mm. felt 
fresh. Yeah. That there was going to be two teams to put inside LSL at this point. It was going to be these teams in a, like, a, I can't remember if it was Jimmy or Jay, but they knew they had one of the Usos on one on their podcast a couple of months back, and they were going in detail about uh, their their feud in 2017. And uh, something Kofi says, the reason that it was Woods and E uh, that took on the Usos that night is uh, they always try and like make a decision, like who's going to do, who's going to be the two in the ring, who's going to be the one on the outside, and often it is Woods. But Kofi said, like, you guys have been developmental, these guys, you've had more history. And now it's all culminating to this moment here. So personally, Kofi decided he'd, t- he'd be the one on the outside for this match, which is a nice real like personal touch. And also, it's one of the few examples we've seen in recent years of uh, a rivalry naturally building and building up from pay to pay to that big gimmick match blow-off. Yeah, um, what Scott said there, uh, Ryan, I was going to come to you with this point. Um, that is another criticism of the Hell in a Cell pay-per-view. As sometimes about oh crap, it's October, we need to put people in the cell. Uh, 2017's edition with both the Usos and Nudy and Shane versus Kevin Owens, they they felt natural, they felt like feuds that had been building and you know the fact that this was the last match of the feud made it that much better. I've never been a massive fan of the, the Hell in a Cell pay-per-view as such because I can't remember if I read this somewhere or somebody on this podcast has said it before. It, it does feel like what you just said there, Ross, it feels like they just try and chuck Hell in a Cell matches together for no reason. I feel like a Hell in a Cell match should be the end of something massive right end of something completely massive and having one every year you know it's coming so as soon as you get a feud you think god that feud's going to be hell in a cell then it doesn't it takes away from it a little bit um that being said though this match was not looking forward to it at all i thought why are you putting them two into it i thought this is going to go down like a lead balloon it's not going to work having these two teams on a hell in a cell by fuck was i wrong by the way it was an outstanding match you know the spots in it were amazing I, Dave, you made the point seeing the New Day keeping that character but also taking it to the next level. That we all know what New Day can do. Sometimes it gets forgotten about with the whole pancakes and you know the, the bit of a joke that they have all the time. We forget what these guys can actually do in the ring. And having having them up against the the Usos, I never knew that, Scott. They said about the the developmental type thing and Kofi sitting out on it. But that makes sense to me because they have they've all came through developmental they've all came through that same kind of thing they've, they've built themselves up from you know minus coffee they've built themselves up from next to nothing to you know being the two best tag teams that this company's ever produced never mind you know in the time you know they're two of the best of all time in my opinion they're definitely up there so them having this match seeing them taking to the next level and actually proving me wrong for what i thought was going to happen you know i was delighted to see that in this match and you know a match is going to be good when about, I think it's two or three minutes in, the crowd starts chanting, this is awesome. So you know mm-hmm. the fans are invested in this as well. Like, they saw what happened at SummerSlam. They'll know that they're going to get a good match when they see it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, Ryan, obviously you mentioned this felt like a feud culminating. Uh, the last time I think I held myself had that sort of feeling was for Scott's best held myself. So Scott, if you want to take it away on that one. Yeah, definitely. Uh, when you were reading out the, uh, some of the ones the, the listeners have mentioned and some of our other panelists have mentioned, uh, one name that popped up there was Triple H and I think after The Undertaker I think Triple H is up there with people I think of when I think of Hell in a Cell and none more so than this match with Triple H versus Shawn Michaels Bad Blood 2004. Now, these guys have been feuding on and off since 2002 when Shawn came back. They had that epic match at SummerSlam 2002 and they've been feuding on and off. They'd involved the World Heavyweight title and also in the weeks leading up to this match, 
they've been costing each other shots to try and take the title off of Chris Benoit. So like, it was a case of we both might be world champion, but until we finally settle this, neither of us will be able to move on. So like they get a big Hell in a Cell match and like the video package before this paints this as an ultimate feud ender. Like they have like, the on miss music as they show highlights of Hell in a Cell matches, they show Triple H's victories over previous like Hell in a Cell against Mick Foley, Jericho, Kevin Ash, and they build up as like Triple H is suited for this match because he has nowhere more to do what it takes to win. And this went about, what, 46 odd minutes? I think we had a question about the exact length of this in uh, David's uh, Ruthless Aggression quiz. Yep. The exact time was 47 minutes and 26 seconds. Stats. Which, which I think is it's still to this day the longest Hell in a Cell match uh, to date. And we think, mm-hmm. we wouldn't say that's too long, but I think if you're putting Triple H and Shawn Michaels in a big feud ending main event, you're going to be in there for the long haul. And I know some people might complain that push world champion uh, uh, Chris Benoit to the semi main event, but sometimes, as Ross will attest to with recent quiz showdowns, that sometimes a match is bigger than the title. Sometimes a big multi year feud needs to be blown off in spectacular fashion. Sometimes the champion has to take a back seat as Russ had to play the Chris Benoit to me and David Campbell, Shawn Michaels and Triple H. Uh, and at least through everything they had each on this match, it was bloody, it suited the bad blood name. Both men got colour as they were prone to do at this time. And like when Triple H delivers like the third or fourth pedigree at the end, like he's, he and Shawn are basically holding each other up at the end before he delivers it. So it's like that last bit of energy. And that's finally what ends uh, this rivalry. And like, uh, yeah, they fought at Taboo Tuesday a few months later, but like, that wasn't because, like, unlike Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens, they ran out of ideas. That was due to a fan. But apparently, the WWE wanted the fans to vote for Edge, but they just went, now nah, we want Shawn Michaels. <laughs> yeah, um, obviously, we know in wrestling, a feud ender is never a feud ender. You know, you'll see, you'll see that match in six weeks on SmackDown. <laughs> but minus the match, Scott said, Ryan, this was pretty much the, the last time WWE did book Shawn Michaels with Triple H. You know, they did book the next one, the fans booked it. Aye, you know, I had to go back and watch this one again because it's not something that was in the kind of front of my mind, you know, looking back on it, Scott, when you you put that in the chat. Um, so I did, I watched clips of it, so I, I, I might be missing certain points in it, but see just even the ending of this match with Evolution coming out um, well, and kind of standing over Triple H and Shawn Michaels just lying there at the side like for me that's a pure iconic moment to see that's something that makes I'm trying to get the best way to explain this it kind of gives that whole feud this next level kind of what am I trying to say I'm, hold on a minute till I get this the, the right choice of words here it, it kind of lends to how big this match was the fact that you've now got these three coming out at the end of this both men are lying in the ring the evolution came out and it's not for an interference, it's not to get involved in a match, it's nothing like that. They're just coming in just to cart away Triple H, you know, because he's been through an absolute war. And see if you're wanting a match to end a feud, this is the type of match that should that should end a feud for me. You know, you, everything about it, you know, all the way through the matches, the big spots and stuff like that they've got, the ending of them two lying there, that's, for me, that's probably one of the most iconic things. I can, I can remember the scenes, I just don't remember the match itself, but I, that image for me, it's so iconic. Mm. I mean, yeah. And it's ironic that I only thought about this before we started recording that the original Hell in a Cell match from 97 
was built so Sean couldn't get have people like Triple H interfering on his behalf and then Triple H carrying Sean mm-hmm. away and now all these years later Triple H has been Sean and said oh, now he's having his stablemates carry him away and I do kind of forgive you for not remember and as good as this match is that I remember I watched Bad Blood 2004 for the first time in quite a while like a year or so ago mm-hmm. and other and like this is like one of two matches worth watching on that card it's not as memorable as I remember <laughs> Yeah, um, something Ryan mentioned, Alan, which I think makes it even more powerful, uh, a final match. Evolution during Triple H's sort of reign of terror over Raw, they get, enough, enough, sorry, they get involved in every single match he had. They, you know, you couldn't get into a Triple H match because every time somebody got the upper hand, you were just like, Evolution's going to be up soon, Batista's going to be up Randy Orton. This, this seemed bigger than that. This seemed as if, Right, we're going to give the fans the send off they properly want. Yeah, absolutely, and I'm, and it's glad I'm glad we did. I mean, you know, it's sort of mentioned the pair of my bloody at the end of the match were crushing the blood, and it literally put the blood, sweat, and tears into it to make an epic encounter. And, you know, if, if Evolution did get in and were involved, it would have tainted it and it would have ruined it and it would have put a bit of taste in everyone's mouth. So by having Evolution stay out of it and just let them finish it the way it should have finished. It, it just shows that WWE were very, very aware at this time, if they ruined this, it was going to, they'd never hear the end of it, they'd have to redo the match a year's time, whatever, so they realised this is the time to finish, finally finish this, and apparently as well, I read online that Shawn Michaels said this was where he wanted to finish with Triple H, and the, the, the rivalry in England had been mentioned, so like Shawn really pushed the point that there should be no interference, let it finish the way, naturally the way it should. And I'm very happy they got to do that. And, you know, as Ryan said, it is the perfect way to end the rivalry. Yep. And um, Dave, as we obviously touched on, um, it wasn't WWE that made them wrestle again, it was the fans. So maybe next time the fans complain that people at the end of the feud are fighting seven weeks later, we can put this up to them and go, well, you ruined this, so <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, it's just as Dolph Ziggler, it's happening again. <laughs> yeah, this is where the uh, the Taboo Tuesday Cyber, Conce- Cyber Sunday concept had its flaws. You know, it's everything's down to fan votes. Uh, and as we've seen in 2011, I think with power to the people, it completely just fell on its arse. But going back to the match itself, um, I've actually watched this match a few times myself because both myself and Scott both have Bad Blood 2004 on DVD. And yeah, I've so... And the reason I actually bought this DVD was because I wanted to see this particular Hell in a Cell match. And oh my god, my money was not wasted. Uh, not one night I woke up. Because it, this match basically had everything uh, everything it had to offer. The storytelling behind it, the, the, the brutality, the, the barbaricness of it. And I remember HBK, I think he was busted open about maybe 10 minutes in with a, a, steel, with a shot to the head with the steel stairs. And he was like a full-blown crimson mask after a few seconds. And it just highlights, you know, the extent to what these guys would go through just to end their rivalry. But what I really liked the most in this match was the the creativity with the weapons involved. Because how often do you see, you know, like a ladder get involved in a, a Hell in a Cell match? Never, and you, we've seen a few table spots inside Hell in a Cell, but not, I, ca- I can't really name off the top of my head a lot of matches where a ladder has been used inside the cell because this was one of them. I think the only one I can think of was uh, Undertaker Edge at SummerSlam 2008. So, and seeing Sean do that elbow drop from the top of the ladder through the table inside the cell, I mean, that's a big enough spot on its own, but I think just inside the cell, they just pulled out all the stops and you could tell just by the end of it, you know, after doing a 45 minute plus marathon of a match, 
you could tell they were both absolutely gubbed. And Triple H, I don't believe he could even stand after that match. Like he was just, they were just both just passed out. And that's why Evolution had to carry him out at the end. It was a easily one of the most brutal Hell in a Cell matches I've seen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, um, sorry, sorry, I think also, I know some people might think like, if it's the end of the Julie Sean is the face should have won. I think Sean does get run out the next night on Roy, gets taken out by Kane, has to go away for a job once I think he did have an injury. So I think from that aspect, yeah, Triple H won. Also, it helped Triple H the following year because his next sell was against Batista. And uh, when he put Batista over again the third time in a row, also it made Batista look strong because if you were watching regular at that time, you remembered, oh, last year they said Triple H had never lost one-on-one in a cell. So mm-hmm. that helped put Batista over even more. Yeah, I think the only time yeah. the Hell in a Cell was the, the 2000 Armageddon one, but that was a six-person Hell in a Cell. Yeah, I love how they lead that yeah, out of the middle package as well. Mm-hmm. Yep. We'll move on for this one. Uh, we're going to move on to an equally brutal Hell in a Cell. Uh, something that was billed as end of an era before they kind of bastardised it with the Australia and the Saudi shows. Um, Alan's pick, WrestleMania 28, Triple H versus The Undertaker. Absolute perfection. My all-time favourite match. <laughs> I absolutely loved it. I think, for me personally, it's the first time ever that you genuinely thought Taker's no winning. I know like, there's been other times mm. you that maybe like with Shane, you think, oh, Shane's got a shot here, you know, no. This one, you know, everyone's like, no chance, Sean's going to screw him, Sean's going to help Strips, it's not happening, it's over. And especially when you look at that massive movement where HBK gets some sweet chin music, Triple H pedigrees him, and he kicks out of two. And I can, I remember exactly what I was in walkabout with pals from uni. And one of my pals stood over me at that moment and he's like, it's done. And he starts counting, he goes, one, two, and I jumped out the seat. And to put in perspective, my pal's at five foot four, <laughs> I'm about six three, six four. So a big difference in height. And he just put his help and he just went, he kicked up, didn't he? And he turned around the whole pub, was screaming. And he turned around and there's take up starting to roll and he's like, I don't believe it. And I think as well, like another reason why it's so pinnacle. Look at WrestleMania 28 as a whole. You had two matches that had a build-up of a year and one fell on its backside, the main event, Rock versus Cena. And the other one over-delivered with the hell in the cell with Triple H and Undertaker. It's, for me, it's wrestling perfection. It's got everything. It's got the storytelling. It's got the moves. It's got the excitement. It's got the spots. Any, if you, it's one of these matches, if you show someone who is not a wrestling fan what it means to be a wrestling fan and what wrestling is, this to me is the match you show. And, is, and that for me, it's Undertaker's greatest match. I know it's fed the because people talk about this match, but Michael was at 25 and 26. But for me, this is the absolute pinnacle. Because it's also the first time we'd ever see Take Up with it long hair. Mm-hmm. So it's a whole new yeah, look. Um, yeah, it, it, obviously they had the vignettes of him like, cutting at his hair uh, in the lead up to it. Um, and that was like, the big reveal where he was like different looks, skinhead, big mohawk going. <laughs> um, I think I'd agree with you when it comes to this and Michael's at 25, just for the fact that I didn't watch Michael's take her live, I watched this live and there's just a whole different level of emotion added when you do watch something live and you don't know the result um scott this was a a wrestlemania i think it had something for everyone this wrestlemania because rock cena was the cross-generation dream match punk against jericho was the you know the indie darlings the technical master class we had kwaku aji's favorite match of sheamus versus daniel bryan <laughs> uh, 
people throw a Raiden Supreme and control them both are on SmackDown. <laughs> yes, exactly. Big Johnny won a tag match, as we all fondly remember. But as we said, we Ryan's won, you're never going to turn down seeing a Hell in a Cell at WrestleMania. Oh, yeah. Like, I think if I hadn't been for Roxena, this definitely, without question, would have been the main event, obviously. Given everything happened with Roxena, you know, we were in the Rock's hometown. Of course, that main evented. And honestly, I'll go out and and say that. I think up until this past year's Mania with the, the Boneyard match, this was Taker's last great WrestleMania match. I mean, a lot of people say him Punk from 29. I kind of was disappointed. I remember watching that match live. It wasn't for me. But this, like, again, that, this, I know it's already been said, but any bears repeating the super kick into the pedigree has to be up there in the top three best false finishes ever because, like, it feels like Taker, if he's streak had gone for so long that it was going to take him kind of being screwed by the, the referee in order for it to properly end. Obviously, we've been proven wrong two years later. But, like, it seemed like everything was so perfect. Everything lead up to this. Like, some people were very disappointed with the match from 27 that Taker could barely walk out of it. But then they used that as a kind of redemption arc for, for Taker, even though he had won the match the year before. And I think given like the moment at the end, if all three men had never wrestled again after this, I think people would still look back on this as one of the greatest Hamlet matches, if not the greatest WrestleMania matches of all time. Yeah, and uh, Ryan, the parallels of the, the Michaels uh, Undertaker story where Michaels couldn't get a rematch off Undertaker. This time, Undertaker, he might have won at 27, but he was embarrassed the fact that he couldn't walk out. He was asking Triple H for a rematch, and here we saw the, the emergence of the sort of the authority Triple H where he he was saying I'm thinking as a businessman having Undertaker in WWE is good for business and then he quickly switches back to wrestler mode and basically says if you get in the ring with me I will end you this time and it just it gave such a weird dynamic of someone like the Undertaker going into a Wrestlemania match as the underdog you know we talk about or I, I made the point as well about the Hell in a Cell being synonymous with the Undertaker you know that's who you think of but I, I agree as well. Triple H and this one is outstanding. You know, Alan, I was in uh, walkabout as well, same as you for this one. I remember that exact same moment where the pub went mental because we thought it was ending at that point. Everybody thought this match was going to be the end of the streak uh, at WrestleMania. Um, did I think it was still going to happen after that? I, I up until Undertaker wins that match. I thought he's losing this because I, I just I could see how it was going to go in my head. I could I built through it. I was like, I need to get myself ready for this to happen because it's about to happen. But for me, honestly, you, you said about Triple H and the and the build to this and going between the characters. I think that's one of his best traits as a performer. Triple H, see being able to go from corporate Triple H into the the King of Kings again. You know, into the cerebral assassin. See being able to switch between them two heads and actually make it believable as well. For me, that's what kind of gave Triple H that thing in, in this match where if he was just corporate Triple H and he had been anti as corporate Triple H, he was having to step into a match, he would never be convinced that he was going to win. But the fact that he could change into that fucking bastard, their character, you know, total arse kicker. For me, I'm sitting watching it the same as Alan was, well, same as Alan's pal was, watching it going, this is it, it's done. You know, you didn't want it to happen, you didn't want it to be done, but I could see any other way that Triple H wasn't picking up the win in this match. Everything went towards it, everything was leading up to it. But we mentioned as well about Taker, where he's bald the heat at the start, a bit like me, he's uh, shaved after the heat to become a bit of a hard man. Um, see when he pulls back the the hood, man, and he's got the bald, that bald the heat with the, the slight mohawk, 
in the middle. I just sat there and thought, we're in for a fucking match here. Man, we're in for a match. And it's the only time I've ever genuinely thought Triple H was going to cane somebody senior in with a sledgehammer. <laughs> like, it's the only time I thought it was actually going to happen was when he was over him. Sledgehammer up in the air, he's about to drop the dime, and Shawn Michaels jumps in, takes off him. Like, it's the only time I thought this was actually going to be <laughs> the end of somebody when they get actually scalped with a sledgehammer. Outstanding for me. I think I would have picked this one if I hadn't been to a, a WrestleMania with a, a hair on a cell. Or if Alan had to beat me, but aye. <laughs> and obviously, Dave, um, Sean um, you know, it wasn't even as if Sean Michaels was trying to help his old DX pal. Sean Michaels as well, switching between characters between the referee, you know, you saw him say Triple H, if you're going to win it, win it fair, don't use the hammer. When he attacks Undertaker, that's not Sean Michaels' DX, that's Sean Michaels, who do you your pushing? That's a that's a Glasgow Oh, honestly, the the storytelling throughout this match is probably some of the best storytelling I've seen just over the space of one match. Because you could tell HBK was somewhat conflicted. You know, you know, would he uh, stick it to the Undertaker? Or they help his his pal out, but you know, you're quite right with his role as the referee. You know, he's um, and I've seen this quite a lot of times when he acts as the special referee in matches. Like if he gets provoked like physically he will retaliate we saw it we saw it at the new year's revolution elimination chamber which uh when i think edge speared him accidentally he ended up kicking edge and he was the first one to be eliminated like it's, it's instances like that where you think right something like this is going to happen when hbk is the ref and i remember when they first announced it i wasn't i wasn't too keen on the idea because i worry it might add a little bit of bias to it but you know what looking back on it 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 was exactly what it needed because you know all three of these guys have history together over the last several wrestlemanias like all the way as far back as three years earlier when undertaker and hbk had that absolutely stellar classic of a match so this is the course of a rivalry that's built up over the like literally over four wrestlemanias like you cannot have any more convoluted storytelling than that and when I saw the build for this, I know this was dubbed as end of an era. I legitimately thought like this is the last match these two are ever going to have like full stop. They're going to walk away from this. They're going to both retire, and that's it. It's uh, you know it's a boogie. You know that's that's the end of them. So and you know going back to what Ryan said, I I was leaning to the fact that this could be the one that ends the streak finally. Even if it's just Undertaker retiring, then the only way for him to go would be out on his back. But at the same time. I would have also been satisfied had Undertaker retired with an absolutely perfect round score of 20 and 0 at WrestleMania. And I do remember one other thing about this match by the end of it, when the three of them are at the top of the stage, you know, sort of in embracing each other. I recall Triple H has come out and said in interviews and said this is his absolute favorite WrestleMania moment of all time, where the three of them, you know, they went through wars with each other over the last four years and now. They're standing atop of the stage, you know, med- mega levels of respect for each other. And they can finally end this era that they were on and basically open doors for, mm-hmm. for new possibilities. The only thing I would just add is to me, this should have been the moment Taker retired. I, I quite disagree with you, David. 20 no, perfect streak. And for me, he never got any better on that. And I know, I know the. The last match at last year's this is WrestleMania was fantastic, but it was not a patch and this that, this is the moment Taker should have went and just left. And 
you can be a Hall of Fame winner and you could be on your retirement. That was the moment for me. You should have done it. That was the perfect moment. Sorry, Phil, I had to add that in. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, I think um, when it comes to end of an era, I always argue this fact just before we move on. Um, when people say, oh, it wasn't the end of an era, you go, well, yeah, actually, because after this, Triple H cut his hair and started running NXT. So this was the last of Triple H as a full-time active performer. So yes, it was end of an era. You know what I mean? It was the end, as Dave mentioned, of four-year rivalry. So, mm-hmm. you know. But um, just before we move on to our panel's worst hell themselves, I'm just going to read some of the responses we've had on our community page. Uh, Stephen Stratton has said, two classics, Undertaker versus Shawn Michaels, Bad Blood, easy for me to say, 97. Triple H, Cactus Jack, No Way Out, 2000. Jack Graham said, an underrated classic for me is Cena, Punk, Del Rio in a triple threat match 2011. Uh, David Campbell has said, Shane jumping from the cell, whilst not the best match, was a great moment against Taker. Stephen Blair says, under, Unforgiven 2006, DX against the McMahon's Big Show, underrated match. Uh, and Sean Smith says, Definitely Taker versus Mankind is a classic answer. It's an easy but the best, uh, most shocking moment in history. And he also mentions the fact that this is where Kane debuted. Uh, he also said, Kane. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Triple H being Cactus Jack, Undertaker Triple H, and Undertaker Brock Lesnar both times. There's a running theme going with these matches. <laughs> uh, but he feels they bastardised the concept of Hell in a Cell with specially themed pay-per-views for it, rather than building organically. It's taken some of the magic l- luster away, as did the whole Fiend versus Seth Rollins farce last year. Um, Alan, I you, believe, was it you? A quick fact for you, Ross. Uh, you, know, you, you were sensing a trend about you know the the listener suggestions. Uh, there is a reason for that, because Undertaker's actually been in the most Hell in a Cell matches in total with 14 appearances, and he's won eight of them. There you go. He's not exactly a rookie when it comes to the Hell in a Cell pay-per-view. But um, Sean mentioned the, the Rollins versus Fiend fiasco. Uh, Alan, obviously, we went with you last for best. We'll go to you first for worst. Um, you've picked Rollins versus Fiend. Yeah. Um, I mean, up until the ending, the match itself was actually all right. But the things I don't like about this, the red light, I understand when the Fiend is fighting and it was the mood light. I've not got a problem with that in a short space of time, but this was a good chunk of time, this match. And it, I started to get headaches watching it, and I really sh- my eyes get sore. And I really got to the point, I, after maybe about five minutes, I stopped enjoying the match because the lighting was just really hurt my eyes. And I know that sounds makes it really petty, but it takes away from the enjoyment for me. Um, so that was one aspect of it. The other aspect, I think, is the one everyone will agree on. It's got the worst ending to any Hell in a Cell in the history. So, like, just to put into perspective, David, you mentioned you don't remember many uh, ladders being used in Hell in a Cell. They were used in this. There were steel chairs used. There was a toolbox which had, like, pliers, spanners, hammers falling out of it, used. The cell itself was used. The steel t- tables were used. The steel tables. <laughs> a table was used. We also had two steps we used, but no, the sledgehammer is what breaks everything. Nope, nope. And he had just like, what? It made no sense. There was so much brutality before that. And we all know the sledgehammer, it's not going to be strong the way it should be. We know it's going to be what it is, and it's not going to be as brutal. But when it is used, you're just like, what? And it's a write off. You're like, no. And no wonder the fans absolutely lost their rack after it, because I'd be asking for money back. I mean, it's absolutely garbage. It really, really is. I mean, it was a, it was a decent match for that. I mean, I think 
for me personally, having the Fiend so strong so early on, I, I'd have liked to have seen the Fiend grow stronger as the match went on, not start off stronger and then start to fail. But it just kind of, it just leaves a very bitter taste right? And it's just absolutely abysmal the end. It makes no sense and it's completely pointless and it's a waste of that structure. It really was. Yeah, um, th- this entire paper, you're just looking back at it. Um, this was, we spoke about this, uh, David and Ryan uh, and myself, about SmackDown's premiere on Fox meant that before the pay per view went on air, there was three matches announced. They announced, there you go, they announced six matches on the day. Um, and, you know, to Alan's point, it's, it's not even the fact that it ended in a match stoppage because we've had. Helen herself was going no contest before. It's just it just built up so stupidly. There was the red lighting, the fans shouting "We can't see" because uh, of the new red cell. Ryan, um, take it away. I mean, have, have your fill with us. I don't even know what to say about it. Mate, honestly, Alan has hit the nail on the head with this one. This was absolutely rotten. You know, the the red light. He says that he started. Like, can I not enjoy the match? I turned it off. I had to turn the match off. I think I left the room. I turned it off and I watched it the next day to to just catch up on what happened towards the end because I think I'd, I'd woke up in the morning and seen the group chat and everybody saying, oh my God, can't believe it happened at the end of that. That was pish, that was whatever. And I thought I need to go back and have a look at it and see. So, one, the red lighting, horrendous. It was like a cheap cheap night in Amsterdam and not with any benefits that you get in Amsterdam either <laughs> with the red lights. It was. Um, it also made the fiend who was meant to be this this new thing. See this new kind of being that was there that was so so creepy and so scary and so dominating. It made him look like a pussy. Like, why is the fiend, who's this absolute monstrous character, lying on the floor in the end of the match, absolutely beaten up by somebody? Like. It didn't make sense. I know what happened afterwards when he was about to get carded out and he comes up with the, the the claw and all that kind of stuff and fine. It just it didn't make it made him look so weak. And I think that's and we'll go off topic a little bit. That's a problem I think they've got with the fiend quite a lot. They they make him look very weak quite often. And I think it's all stemmed from this. You know, that they, they can make him look like a kind of scary guy that turns up and, and attacks people from behind, etc. But the amount of times that you've seen the fiend taking a doing after this match, this kind of set the tone for me with, with Fiend matches. I thought it was going to be the next big thing, like a Kane-type character who comes in and dominates for, for a good few years. And it seemed to... Dave, you probably remember better than me in terms of stats and stuff. How many matches had the Fiend actually had up until this point? Roughly? One. So one. He, so he one match before this as the Fiend then? Yeah. And you're having him Finn Balor at SummerSlam. So it was. So he had that one match, and his next match he has is this Hell in a Cell, and he's left lying on the floor, beaten up. Can he? Can he answer? Well, can he answer a ten count? But you know, they rule it a no contest. The match. I'm just like, what have you? What have you done? What have you done to this full thing? And ever since then, I've always had a thing in the back of my head that I've never thought the Fiend was that dominating. And this is this is the match that done that for me. I've always thought that the Fiend should have been this kind of scary character, like I say, that won matches all the time, put people out, beat people up. But I, I just never think he's going to do it. And if it, I think if he wins now, I'm more surprised than I should be, if that makes sense. Mm. He was really... Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, sorry, Dave. We, um, we discussed, obviously, on the SmackDown show that 
this this obviously this pay per view itself got kind of caught up in the build for SmackDown. It also got caught to the fact that two and a half weeks later there was a Saudi show where the Saudis wanted a title change, so it was then delayed further. So <clears throat> I feel you know that this match ending was absolutely stupid. But at the same time, it has been caught in the perfect storm of billion dollar deal here, billion dollar deal there. It's kind of a slap in the middle. WWE really sort of backed themselves into a corner with this booking because I I don't know if this is true or not, but I don't think this match was actually meant to happen in the first place. I don't know if it was uh, because, you know, you, Rollins had just regained the title from Brock Lesnar. And, you know, where was it, who was his next opponent going to be by that point? Because the only person I think they were gearing up to face Rollins by that point was actually Drew, but this was the time he had a, he had his injury from the King of the Ring tournament, and and so basically they had no credible opponent for Rollins, and so f- they basically put themselves into a corner where, you know, the Saudis the Saudi show was asking for a title change uh, at some point, and they obviously went with the Universal title for that. But at the same time, that would mean that Rollins had to somehow retain over the Fiend, who was arguably the most popular character at the time. You know, he just came out swinging with the emergence uh, at SummerSlam and he was on a roll as the hot new character. But, you know, everything the guys have said so far, you know, nothing about this match worked at all. Like, the red cell, the red lighting, it was a, a com- a basically a giant cavalcade of one calamity after another. But I appreciate, you know, the under normal circumstances, you know, like with the lighting and stuff, the match itself was actually okay. It's not the worst in terms of an in-ring perspective, but it actually reminds me of what you guys were saying about the end of an era match where Triple H was about to hit Taker with a sledgehammer, HBK stops him. Well, literally in this match, Seth Rollins brought the hammer down on the Fiend and it causes a, a stoppage. Like, an ek- There was this uh, segment backstage where I think they had superstars doing a watch-along and X-Pax re- was watching it and his reaction basically summed it up. It was like, how, how the heck do you stop a hell in a cell? just by referees stoppage. Like, how does it end that way? It just, it's not meant to happen. And the the whole thing was just doomed to fail. Think, yeah, it's doomed to fail. Scott, um, before we move on to your um, worst Hell in Cell match, would you like to talk about this dumpster fire? Yeah, like, I don't mind the, the cell itself being red, but I think the red lighting is just not helping anyone. I think Seth even said later on that he and Bray weren't told about the red lighting until they were out there. And then, I'm uh, pretty sure there were reports coming out, there was maybe, a, there was always going to be a stoppage, but like, there was a plan originally for like, the Fiend to be sent flying off the cell, and then the matches stopped, which on the one hand, some people might be more understanding why, but then you'd have the other bit of people on Twitter going, oh, but Mick Foley carried on. Uh, and I think a lot of this is that it was too much too soon for the Fiend, like Gid Braun and Seth the month before, and like, we remember me and you were watching it, uh, Russ, uh, we watched Crown Jewel, I remember afterwards we realised, like, why oh, it's Halloween, they wanted this spooky character when they built on Halloween, like, then just continue the bronze mm-hmm. Seth feud to Hell in a Cell, Seth retains again, and then the Fiend pops up, that sets up your match for, uh, that, that sets up your match for uh, Crown Jewel, then they complicated it even more by Bray being on SmackDown by the time uh, he won the Tails, and then he had to switch the belt from red to blue, and then, like, Something I remember thinking about when you listened to your uh, SmackDown show was that they had that bit at the end of SmackDown where everybody was pissed off about Kofi losing, and then this finish happened. This was also the same week AEW had their first episode of Dynamite. So for a lot of uh, disgruntled fans who are looking for an alternative, 
WWE was inadvertently giving them more ammunition to think, why am I wasting my time with this company when there's these people over here doing stuff I'm actually enjoying? Yeah, exactly. Um, I think it's a really good choice. I think it's still fresh in the mind that we're all just still a bit pissed off by it. Um, it's too soon. And, yeah, and as obviously Scott mentioned, just I'll continue the broad feud into Hell in a Cell. I drew it in, you know, just throw somebody else in there, throw Seamus in there or something, you know what I mean? Just because they know that it's hell anyway. So, you know, you may as well just have a one-off match. Um, Scott, you went for one, <clears throat> a match that's happened twice, the 2009 and then 2014 versions of John Cena, Randy Orton. The 2009 one's a pretty good one, but you went for the 2014 version. We talk about bastardising the cell. Like, this isn't like a bad match from what I remember and looking back on it. But again, it's one of the first like proper examples of like, it's October, we need more than one hell in a cell. Because like, you'd had multiple hell in a cells for a few years before this. But like, they used the hell in a cell almost as a consolation prize because the main story here was, going into it was both Dean Ambrose and John Cena wanted their hands on Seth Rollins. Uh, but Dean Ambrose beat Cena in a match, so Rollins got the shot. Uh, Ambrose got the shot at Rollins and that was the Hell in a Cell in the main event and that would have been fine just have the one Hell in a Cell like and let these two blow their feud this is when the first time they were gonna this is the first time they were probably gonna need one Hell in a Cell match but then they say just always put Seth always put Cena and Orton in a Hell in a Cell a rivalry that was well well played out by the time that uh, by the time 2014 came around, nobody wanted to see it. They tried to make it look epic in a way of ice, comparing it to one of the greatest rivalries of all time, even though people were just properly sick of it by then. And like, you took those, if you took the cell away, by the way, nothing about this match changes. Literally nothing. Like, the finish involves a table. If you delayed this to TLC two months later and had a tables match, you could have done the exact same finish and nothing about this would have changed. Like, and also like, you declared an Rumble contender to Brock in October with Cena winning, and then you had to wait all the way till the, to January of the Rumble, because this is the era of like, Brock properly being a part-time champion. And then the next couple of months of TV were just absolutely dire. So like, again, it's the first time, like, one of the first proper examples I think of is that of not only the rivalry being played out and not deserving a feud, but like, trying to use the cell to bolster a feud Rather than the other way around. Yeah, I think. Um, sorry, can you guys hear me now? Yeah. 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 I think there, Scott, as well. Um, what really took me out of it was the fact that you know you mentioned both Cena and Ambrose wanted their hands on Rollins. Ambrose and Rollins had this big feud. As soon as they get the match, it's like this is going to be the you know the be all and end all. This is going to be the end of the feud. And then you have Randy Orton saying, "Give me whoever loses." So you're like. So Randy Orton just wants a Hell in a Cell match. This is just mm-hmm. like, w- w- what is the point there? You know, it's you know we've mentioned it many a time. Sean uh, Sean Smith gave us the the word bastardized. <laughs> Certainly bastardized the cell, David. Ah uh, yeah, but I'll give uh, credit where credit's due. This match actually had a pretty creative finish with the A off the top through the table. I think that was quite a, a good, but a good finish, but. Yeah, I think Scott summed it up best. You know, it was, I get that, you know, both Cena and Ambrose wanted to get their hands on Rollins, but it it just got to the point, you know, this is like, whatever happens, you know, all these guys will end up in a Hell in a Cell match in one way or another. And again, that that more damages the the stipulation itself rather than the competitors. So, and, you know, it's not like the first time you've seen Cena and Orton go against each other. This would have been round like, you know, 1,493 or something. 
something. But uh, I digress. <laughs> this was all in all. I don't think it was the worst Hell in a Cell, but I do I do agree with Scott's point in that you know it just it basically lowered the quality of what Hell in a Cell matches are meant to do. They're not meant to be like a means to work towards a title match. You know, this is either a title match or it's the, the culmination of the end of a of a, a crazy feud. And I get Ambrose and Rollins had that much more natural sort of Hell in a Cell vibe to it, so that's why it worked out better. This Cena-Orton match just felt like a bit of an afterthought. And the payoff, as he mentioned, didn't even occur until Royal Rumble the following year. So it was, uh, yeah, it was a bit unnecessary in a lot of, uh, a lot of cases with a... Uh, the result not paying dividends until months down the line. Yeah, um, sorry, 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 sorry. I mentioned that video package that they put before the match, like they try to make Gary generate some interest, make it more big than it actually was. It, the ending, the narrator says, like, in order for this to finally end, they must go through Hell in a Cell. It, it says that while playing footage of them from their 2009 Hell in a Cell. So, like, this is a few that's already been through Hell in a Cell. And even after they had Hell in a Cell the first time, they still went on to an Ironman match the month later. So like even in their original m- match, it wasn't a feud ender. So what makes you think it's going to be a feud ender here? And as you said, Ross, like, he's born asked for this. Hell in a Cell should not be a match people are asking to be in. Yeah, um, obviously, John Cena loses the chance to fight Seth Rollins. So therefore, he gets, you know, the pity prize of a WWE title, you know, match if he beats Randy Orton. And then you get Randy Orton saying, oh, I want Hell in a Cell to prove I can be the number one contender. Randy Orton's like the authority of Golden Boy at the time. He could have just asked for the title match, you know what I mean? So, um, yeah, it is all in all a very bastardised uh, cell match. And Alan, what makes it even more baffling is the fact that this match goes 25 minutes, whereas the main event, the feud ender between Rollins and Ambrose, goes 14 minutes. <laughs> It just kind of shows a wee bit as well what my man's logic is. He sees more money in a match that has no value or purpose than his title match with the future. The guys that are going to be the future for the next five, ten years. Mm-hmm. And again, if you look at where these guys are now, look at Ambrose, John Moxley. He's been, he's been so piss poorly treated by WWE. He's went to their biggest rival and he's now the world champion. And he's the top guy and he's the PWI number one wrestler in the world. So it just shows that maybe it's just McMahon felt Ambrose can he cut it, but also he still got his glory boy, his money bags, Big John, to carry through. And it's just, it's, 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 it just shows that McMahon sometimes cannot see the woods for the trees. Yeah. Yeah, I think. Um, <laughs> just, I forgot all about this match. It, did, it has just baffled me the fact that one. Cena lost before it, but then gets put in a match that no one asked for. That's now a number one contenders match. Um, Ryan, have you got anything to add with this one? You know, see when when this one got brought up as one of the the worst matches. I'm not going to lie, I totally forgot that it happened. I had to look it up. I remember the main event. I remember the Rollins and Ambrose match from this. See if you had said to me, was there another match on before that? I've just said no, probably not. Like that's how unmemorable this match actually was. Like I don't, I don't see the point. You know, I, I don't really remember the build to it as much. I think you've just discussed it there, and it's kind of triggered something to kind of bring back a memory. But see, other than the fact that you've just told me, I could not have told you this happened. And a Hell in a Cell match should not be that unmemorable. And I know we've got the pay per view, 
they're, they're just chucking hair and a cell matches in for the sake of it. We spoke it all through this show. But you need to make a hair and a cell match at least half memorable. And if it's not going to be, and if you're, you build up to it, it's not going to be memorable, don't do it. Don't waste your time because you're just totally taken away from all the quality hair and a cell matches that you've had over the years. Mm-hmm. That's what I was saying about. Yeah. Um, that, that, that's what I was saying about the. I said about this is one of the first examples of like, like we're doing this because we want more than one hell in the cell on the card, which they've been doing for the last few years with the hell in the cell pay per view. It's like, I don't get what the reason it is to have more than one hell in the cell just because that's the name of the pay per view. If you just have one hell in the cell match on the card with a feud that needs it, then you've fulfilled your obligation with the hell in the cell pay per view. But the fact that we're having two, maybe, and sometimes three, as we got this year, Hell in a Cell matches on one joke. We're having more Hell in a Cell matches. The number of Hell in a Cell matches increasing as the years go by, and they're all starting to blur together. And unlike the early ones that we've talked about, these new ones aren't becoming as memorable, and we've forgotten within a couple of years. Yeah. Um, so Dave, Scott mentions you know two, sometimes three Hell in a Cell matches. This year we've got three Hell in a Cell matches. We've got the Sasha Bailey feud. The big blow off that we we really want to see. We've got the combination of a Randy Orton Drew McIntyre feud that's been really really good, and we've got an interesting concept of an I Quit match inside a Hell in a Cell between Roman and Jay. So sometimes it works when there's three Hell in a Cells. But for your pick, uh, mm-hmm. you've picked a year where one of them just really didn't work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the one I've chosen is my worst was the very first match to appear on a Hell in a Cell themed pay-per-view. It was 2009, the the opening match. It was The Undertaker versus CM Punk for the World Heavyweight Championship inside Hell in a Cell. And what really bogged me down about this match is that it was the build to it that ruined it for me. Because the the month prior, it was the Breaking Point pay-per-view, the only Breaking Point pay-per-view that they had, and they had a submission match, which ended in screwy circumstances because, funnily enough, it was in Montreal, of all places, uh, where Punk, I think, I don't know, it was conspired with Teddy Long and Scott Armstrong to end the match in a very convoluted way where Punk puts in the Anaconda Vice, Taker doesn't tap out, yet the referee calls for the bell, and Punk retains. So... And then there's this whole really messed up... It, there was actually some funny moments because we got that infamous uh, buckle up Teddy spot with him in the limo. And then the basically Teddy Long unbans the Hell's Gate submission hold and he puts him in a Hell in a Cell match with CM Punk for the World Heavyweight Championship. So, I mean, there wasn't such a big... Uh, I suppose in hindsight, the build was, was okay because you got some funny moments, but... Based on the previous match, this was this match sort of just fell flat in its arse. It was a a very unmemorable uh, Hell in a Cell match, uh, if there ever was one. I actually had to go back and watch it just to see like how plain it was, and that's what it was. That's my word to describe it. It's uh, it was a plain match, and it could have done without the cell structure. And I do believe it's actually the shortest Hell in a Cell match in history, clocking at just under ten minutes. So that's not. It's not necessary in this case because the feud was rushed, the match was too quick, and it could easily have been done without the sale. Had, you know, maybe you just thrown a no disqualification or like a false count anywhere stipulation in there. But obviously, because it was the first ever Hell in a Cell pay per view, you wanted to get as many Hell in a Cell matches on the card as possible. And 
the other two on that night were John Cena, Randy Orton, as Scott mentioned from 2009, and then the other one was DX versus Legacy, which made evented. Those two were the ones that stood out the most. This one, even though it was the opening match, you probably remember the opening match just as well as you do the main event, but this one was just completely and utterly forgettable because there was just nothing to it. Like, it didn't live up to the hype. Yeah. It was too plain and it could have easily done without the cell. So, and the other thing is it was too short. When I think of Hell in a Cell matches, I want to see a full out war, not something that goes like the average length of a normal one-on-one -on -one match. Yeah, I think um, Scott, as you mentioned, obviously your one and as Ryan mentioned about it as well, it just wasn't memorable. And this this is exactly that. This one was memorable. You know, you, you pointed out how the first Hell in a Cell was so Shawn Michaels couldn't get away. This was sort of the way they played the CM Punk angle, but at the same time, as Dave said, you just didn't need this tell here, did you? No, I think it's because probably because it was the first Hell in a Cell review, and also it's The Undertaker, who is synonymous with the match. I thought, if anyone's going to be in a cell on this night, it has to be Taker. But the fact that it was falling on the, the convoluted finish from the month before that Dave mentioned about the screw job thing, like Punk being this like preachy, straight savior character. And the fact that it involved tail on the face authority figure, like, it made no sense whatsoever for the, even if it did provide the whole buckle up Teddy uh, moment. Um, <laughs> although the one thing about that finish is that it did, like, call back to the Hell's Gate thing, like, being banned. Cause I think it got banned a year before in his feud with Edge by Vicky Guerrero to further, like, stack the deck against Teddy because he used it to beat Edge. So then she used that excuse to take the belt off of him. And they never really fully said that this is reinstated, so there was a callback in that sense. But again, like it's just another lazy rehash of the screw job. And then it led to this match, which again only lasts about 10 minutes, probably because of like, geez, we've got three of these, we've got to uh, cut some time here. And then there's rumours going around that it was kind of a punishment for Punk, because he and uh, Taker had a run-in backstage, where Taker apparently uh, criticised Punk's dress sense as champion. And uh, apparently Punk wasn't very respectful in his retort to, to Taker. Yeah, I think what we've just seen here, um, for as many good Undertaker Hell in a Cell, the worst Hell in a Cell, Alan, maybe, you know, people have mentioned before, as much of a legend Undertaker is, at times when he uses his backstage sway, he does it very publicly. We saw it with DDP. I think that's basically just what we saw here. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, you're right. <laughs> In this situation, but also you said there's been, a, there's been a few Undertaker matches that have been poor on the Hell in a Cell. I mean, I was swaying between, obviously, I picked the Fiend Rollins, but I was swaying between that and Take a Boss Man at WrestleMania 15. It was a boring, boring match. I mean, the only thing I can truthfully remember about that match, for example, is the fact that the Boss Man was hung in the cell at the end, which I couldn't get away with now. It didn't even have a real soft. I know the storyline that one was kind of like it's corporation versus the ministry, but then they, they came together like six months later and it was kind of pointless. But yeah, he, he has used his sway previously for piss poor matches and I think, you know, with the boss man in this one, this is kind of examples of where the sale maybe wasn't actually necessary and it could have just been done in a normal mm. false kind of area match or just a normal match. It could have been done easily in that. Yeah, uh, Ryan... Uh, Scott and Dave both uh, touched on the point. Undertaker synonymous with the cell. They needed a hell in a cell for the first pay-per-view. Why not go with Undertaker? I think that was the only reason he got the cell. It just, it just didn't make sense. I, I, like I said before, 
um, with the, the previous ones I had to go back and watch this one I did have to go back and watch because this is around about the time that I stopped watching wrestling for for a while um, and I came back to it so obviously I missed the kind of build up to this um, the match itself wait, I heard a cell match going for 10 minutes with Undertaker like why he's the one made the point there's nothing else I can really add to it why bother like honestly why bother your arse if you're going to have a, a match that's going to go 10 minutes don't, don't bring the case to him for it just leave it but it's, it's not going to, you're not going to build any storylines within a cell at that point you're not going to add anything to the match by having it as a hell in a cell so why bother and uh, like I say I missed all the kind of build up to it um, all the kind of stuff about you were saying there Taker and, and Punk have a bit of a um, bit of a row backstage obviously I, I don't really know much about that but if it is right and that's why they've done it then see if you're going to punish somebody just take him at the match completely don't don't send him out there and make a total arse of having a one of your most brutal matches and just completely ruin it by having nothing happen in the match yeah absolutely um, so we're going to move on just for final five minutes just to your worst tell himself Ryan so you obviously Alan, Scott and Dave let me know ahead of time you haven't let me know, so I kind of gave you, you, you promised me a good one, so I'm going to just let you go a bit here. Um, boys, um, I'm going to bring um, a bit of controversy to this one. Obviously, I picked my my favourite Hell in a Cell match has been the one I went to, you know, and, and rightly so. Um, Ross asked the question, what is the worst Hell in a Cell match of all time? I'm going to say WrestleMania 32 in Dallas, Shane McMahon against Undertaker. And that is a controversial thing you say after bigging up. But you know, see if I had to sit here and and find a match that was a bit of a letdown. The match itself was a bit of a letdown. There's one iconic spot in this match, and that's that's what you go for. That's what you pay the money for. But see the rest of it as a whole. It was just two old guys kicking about a ring. The only reason I enjoyed it was because I was there in a crowd with a beer in hand, having a good time. See if I was watching that in the house, man, I would have been absolutely raging in the match other than the spot because it was born. It was a born match. I, I said earlier on, he's that I, I sometimes watch it back. I don't. I watch that one clip. I completely lied these earlier on on this podcast. <laughs> a, a, a bare face lie. Uh, um, I, I don't watch it I watch the one big spot where he jumps off the, the cage and that's it because I think oh my god I could see that from where I was sitting um, by the way no I couldn't it's too far away do you, know how, <laughs> do you know how small people are for the other side of the stadium right so that's point one so aye I'm going to say that's probably the worst hell in a cell match I've probably had to sit through I wouldn't go as far as say it's the worst obviously you've you've done this you know, you've kind of bookended the show. I think we did mention earlier, um, Scott, with the intrigue of Gallows and Anderson had just signed and the rumours Goldberg was re-signing and, you know, the what is in the lockbox? What's in the box? We, you know, we we all kind of, I think we, we booked this match ourselves as fans too many times when it got to the fact that it was just Undertaker and Shane. I think we kind of got let down by our own expectations. It, it didn't help that that one moment that we talk about with Shane going on to sell us. Like, the camera is on the announce table where he was and you see Cole there with his wee sheet of paper and then it, you see him reading his line mm. of the love of mankind off a sheet of paper. So, like, it's unfortunate that camera was on him at that moment but like even then the line's a bit shite. Why and, the like, love of mankind as well when it was mankind who suffered just a spot like all those years? Also, why would you need a bit of paper to remind you of that iconic 
that iconic person and mm. deliver that line. Surely, surely, if you're going to deliver that iconic line after Shane McMahon's jumped off a cell, you've practiced it before the match has started. Do you know what you're going to say? Like, uh, why is he reading that off a bit of paper? To be fair, he was out there for like six hours as being his tiny goal for that long. He probably so was Ascot. So was Ascot. <laughs> I was there and all. I had to sit through it as well. Mauro would have added so much, uh, some much needed energy to this match. Because I remember I was hosting a WrestleMania 32 party with some of the, the folk on the pod here. And I remember uh, at least a couple of us very nearly fell asleep, myself included. And I only got woke up when Shane was literally hanging off the edge of the cell ready to jump. And we were literally like, oh my God, he's, he's going to do it. He's going to do it. He's going to do it. Oh my God, he just jumped. Like, that's what woke everybody up. The entire rest of the match itself, snooze fest. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's my point. That's my point exactly. Sorry, just jump in there, Ross. That's my point exactly. Like, you've got the the name of Shane McMahon, the name of Undertaker. You've got Hell in a Cell, and you're thinking WrestleMania. Surely they're going to pull something decent out of the bag, and, and they did in terms of the spot. But one one spot jumping off a cell when you know it's going to happen. It's just a case of sitting through the shit to wait for the good bit. And you knew it was coming, you knew it was going to happen. You seen them getting the pliers and you thought, right, here we go. They're going outside and this is what's going to happen. Until that point, could not tell you what happened. Well, so it's not like nearly 30 minutes in total as well. Also, mm. just that one moment out of like 30 odd minutes, that's just too, mm. too much. I think Ross, we mentioned about Girls and Anderson, we thought this was going to be way more shenanigan heavy than it was going to be, you know, and it wasn't that helped the disappointment. We talked about one of them's a part time who hasn't worked a full schedule, the other one's not wrestled in ages. Like, that's not going to really put quote mix for a, a good match, is it? When you actually think about it, like the old, the old fate expression, you know, eventually the bell has to ring. Yeah, um, obviously, as you mentioned, Cole was out there for six hours before Ryan yelled, so was I. I didn't hear Ryan's commentary. I don't know if he was doing a Rab McGlinchian interpreting for the Neds like during the past. <laughs> <laughs> Classic sketch. He's a donkey, a dauber. <laughs> trips. Alan, Alan, I mentioned to you obviously when we discussed this at the start of the show where we may be a wee bit critical of the match because at the end of the day it is, as Brian mentioned, two older guys. I think, as I've mentioned as well, I think maybe people just let their fantasy book run a bit wild. Yeah, I mean, I think it was alright for what it was. I mean, I said if you're turning mm. on then you'd expect to more. And again, maybe I can, I can understand where Ryan's coming from as well, vice versa, because WrestleMania, this is where everyone finds that extra 1% to give a bit more and you, you dig in deeper and, you know, <laughs> Shane McMahon looked like he's a stroke after 10 minutes, I suppose, and he looked like he's a stroke after 5 minutes. Um, so I can see where he's coming from. Um, I personally wouldn't call it the worst. I can see why he would think it's the worst, but I, I'm kind of still feeling it's a, a better one for me. That's just my opinion, but um, I can totally see where Ryan's coming from it and where you know, uh, Scott and David have mentioned it as well, the points. I can totally see it, um, but that's just my thoughts on it. Yeah, yeah I think as well, um, while it may not have been a Matt Classic, while we may have hoped for a Goldberg, you know, ironic enough in the week where we're all saying, oh, please don't bring Goldberg back that we're talking about. I Goldberg would have added to this match. Um, <laughs> And then, obviously, you know, with Gallows and Anderson, you know, with Gallows and Anderson, I'm sure the hipsters that like New Japan, like Grant, were, were all bugging that up. <laughs> he does some show with Eats Meets West with some other dafty. Um, and I, th- I think we may, 
I, th- I think we just maybe we picked this one up too much for me. I think that I, I certainly wouldn't put this as the worst. I do agree with Alan. Um, before we move on, just for a wee five minutes, uh, I'm going to ask your predictions for this coming weekend's uh, Hell in a Cell matches. Um, I think for the best match, I'm going to have to agree with Alan. Mania 28, take our take our Triple H, Shawn Michaels of the ref. It's a four-year saga. And then when it's the only one when you brought that up, I was taken back there. I think Mania 28 one was absolutely stellar. So I think I'm going to have to give that the best one. Worst, it, as Scott says, it just wasn't memorable. So I think I'm going to have to go with Cena versus Randy Orton. It was a 30 minute match that we had seen many a time before. We'd already seen it in a cell. So nah, there just there wasn't there wasn't anything you can do to improve that really. Um, you know what? As Randy's old team would say, hey, nothing you can say, because there's nothing you can say about this because you can't even remember it. Exactly, like, like we held us out in 2019, I think we um, we questioned the finish, we could have just put someone else in there. Held us out in 09, if I don't know, 10 minutes, we would be complaining. And main 32, I think, Ryan shot him still on the foot by arguing the fact that one, it was good, but one, it was shit. You know what I mean? So. <laughs> I no, think no. I'm, I'm going to go. No, 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 it was definitely shit. <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was definitely shit. It was just pretty cool to be there and see it in person. But um, I, I think Alan for Mania 28 for the best and Scott Helen and 2014 for the worst. I think that's what I'm going to go for. Um, just before we sign off, guys, at Time of Call, Helen and Cell is this coming Sunday. Uh, just going to quickly get your, uh, your uh, answers for this. WWE title match, Drew McIntyre versus Randy Orton. Uh, Ryan, who's winning? Randy Orton. Randy Orton. Dave, who are you going to? I hope it's Randy Orton. Hey, Scott. Uh, Randall Keith Orton. <laughs> and Alan. Name. I want Drew, but I think Orton's going to take it. You can only make that front so long with Orton win, so I think it's going to be Orton. Yeah, I think we've held off as long as possible, and I think Drew losing the title himself, what, eight months after winning it? You know, he's had an absolute cracking run so far, so... Don't think we can really complain. Um, Roman versus Usos in the I Quit match inside the Hell in the Cell. Who's winning that? I'll start with you, Alan. Uh, the big dog. Big dog. Um, Scott. Hey, Jimmy Uso. Oh, wait, wait, he's not in it. Uh, four <laughs> <men> <laughs> <laughs> Scott's playing Jimmy Uso there. That's it. A bold prediction. It's a bold play card. Let's see if it played off. Um, yeah. uh, Dave, are you going to put some of the news in that match as well? Or. No, I'm going with the tribal. That's how they're going to do it. No, I'm going with the tribal chief, Roman Reigns. So Scott thinks fun magic. Alan and <laughs> Dave think Roman Reigns. Um, Ryan, what do you think? Nah, I'm going to go Roman Reigns. Can't see anything other than that. And obviously, just before I talk about the front again, I'll stop with you, Ryan. Um, the payoff to the feud that's went for about four years, Stashy and Bailey. Who's going to win? Um, it's a tough one. I don't actually see how they're going to go with it. If it's the end of a feud, I'd say Sasha. But if it's not, I'd say I'd say Bailey. Um, I'm going to go Sasha. You're going to go Sasha, uh, Scotty. Yeah, this is the hardest one. It depends what they want to do after it. But I think, given everything that's happened going into it, uh, it has to be Sasha Banks. Sasha, hey, Dave. I'm actually going to. Mm, it's a bit of a toss up here, but I'm going to lean towards Bailey, given that Sasha's you know being advertised for the Mandalorian, and I think. You know, it could do with some publicity and stuff. And, you know, we've seen, you know, if they're advertising stuff, they tend to go off for a bit. And I could see them prolonging a rematch up until at least maybe WrestleMania or the Royal Rumble. Just before you jump to Ireland here, Ross, I do want to chuck in a wee, a wee curveball. I think Charlotte Flair returns this weekend as well. Oh, 
Oh, right, that's that's one to think on. Uh, Alan, has the possibility of a Charlotte Flair return swayed you? Uh, no, I still think it's going to be Sasha. Bailey's been champion too long. Yeah, I, I, I agree there. I think when you get to a title reign this long, you run the risk of the title being taken off them, falling flat. I think if you're going to take it off them, hell in a cell, it has to be Sasha. I think Roman's winning and I think Randy Orton, I think he's winning as well. But all it remains is to say is thank you to the boys for coming on today. Thank you, Ryan. Hey, boy, mate. Thank you, Alan. Thanks very much. Cheers, Dave. Thank you, Jack. And thank you, Scott. You're very welcome. <laughs> uh, don't forget to follow us uh, on iTunes, Anchor, Spotify and all good Android podcasting sites. So Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet, our main channel, where you can find the news, reviews and previews, central or feature shows and so much more. Head over to YouTube. We have a vast back catalogue of stuff for Santa put on YouTube. We're putting more and more on our YouTube, including the recently released quiz showdown. Uh, Scott, you're going one-on-one with David Campbell in a 30-minute movie trivia match. Yeah, by the time uh, you're listening to this, it should be uh, should be right now. If you haven't listened to it yet, I won't spoil it, but it's definitely worth your time. And uh, this isn't really playing to the finish, but uh, quiz showdown five, whenever that happens, it'll be I in the hosting chair, Ross, for your first title defence, so... Well, I look forward to obviously also on the YouTube channel. You can find uh, certain shows that we've done. You can find the Conspiracy Theory by David Campbell, the soon-to-be Book It Tournament. You can find our 365 title shenanigans kit. We've got Scott Ian cashed in on multiple times. He's clearly the John Cena of this podcast. <laughs> you can find that all at YouTube at Suplex Retweet. That's also our Twitter and Instagram handles and obviously Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet and Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet community on Facebook. Thank you for joining us. Enjoy Hell and Still and we'll see you soon. Bye. Stop whatever you're doing right now. You've only got one choice. This is Billy Kirkwood. You know what you should be doing? You should be going online. You should be subscribing. You should be listening to the back catalogue of Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet. Get on it!